0: Today I am taking you to Lebanon, to a story about how to do good in messy, murky circumstances. Here to tell the story are Muzna al-Masri and Neil McCulloch. They recently co-authored a report about a town in the Bekaa Valley, in the east of the country, a couple of stone throws away from Syria. The town is called Zahle, and it has 24-hour electricity, which is unfortunately unique in Lebanon. Responsible for the service is EDZ, short for Électricité de Zahle. They got a concession to operate in the town from the national utility, which is EDL, the Électricité de Liban. So, acronyms out of the way. If you're curious about how they did it and what we might learn from it, welcome to the social life of energy.
1: The background to the research project uh, is a research program by uh, SOAS, the University of London, uh, on anti-corruption evidence. And what they were interested to to do was to try and understand why anti-corruption programs around the world have been so unsuccessful. And their idea was that they've often failed because they have this sort of cookie cutter approach to anti-corruption, they have a common idea of uh, the things you have to do to tackle corruption. And what they've pointed out, and they've now accumulated a lot of evidence for this is that you really have to understand the nature of the underlying political settlement in order for to be able to tackle corruption in an effective way, um, because countries are different and the ways in which politics work are different. And so they've done a whole set of studies, in particular in the electricity sector, looking at various types of reforms in Bangladesh, in Nigeria, and also our own study in Lebanon to see how progress was possible within a bit different context. So our study looks at corruption in the electricity sector in Lebanon, which is infamous, as we all know, but explicitly how it was possible in the city of Zathli and its surroundings to provide a reasonably good quality functional electricity service in a broader environment, which was very dysfunctional. How was that feasible uh, in, that, uh, in that political context?
0: Okay. Uh, great. Thanks. And uh, Muzna, can you uh, speak a little bit more about what's going on in Lebanon, for those who don't know?
2: Yeah. So basically in Lebanon, electricity problem has been ongoing for many decades. There are constant electricity cuts in the city of Beirut. You, you at a minimum, would not have electricity three hours a day. Outside of Beirut, it's 12 to 14 hours a day. The corruption in the sector is huge. It's, it's responsible for a large part of the national debt. And as a result, a lot of the, uh, around the city, there are a lot of private generators that are covering that kind of need uh, in energy and they also causing a lot of uh, air pollution and forcing most residents to pay huge electricity bills, both the national one and the kind of for private generators. There is one bright example, which is the EDZ in Lebanon, Electricity Zahle, which has managed to... Um, generate electricity 24-hour electricity uh, with excellent collection rates with uh, excellent quality of service there is like hugely contrast huge contrasts with the national situation and at the same time has captured a lot of people's imagination so how can edz do it and if it can do it in one city in lebanon so we all can do that and we've actually been hearing these kinds of demand oh, can I do that in this refugee camp? Can we do that in Hamra? So, in a way, our study answers this kind of global question on corruption, but also attempts to answer to the Lebanese people. Is it doable elsewhere?
0: Um, so in terms of your findings, what would be what is your most um, uh, important uh, finding or message that you've concluded from uh, the research?
1: I mean, the most important message. To my mind, is the one that Mustafa just mentioned, which is that this is doable. Reformers within of Lebanon and reformers within of the international community have been banging their head against the brick wall of electricity reform in Lebanon for decades, exactly as Mustafa says, and have mostly failed. And yet, one city has managed to succeed. So the real question is how? How is this possible? So the the main message I take away from it is that if you have a really good understanding of how the local politics actually functions it is possible to negotiate a solution it is possible to make progress however what our study shows which is a little bit uncomfortable is that this is not a story of some heroic reformer doing all the right things against all the odds it's a much messier much more uh, murky uh, story than uh, than you might like to believe because EDZ has succeeded in part because of the failure of the Lebanese state, and it's succeeded in part at the expense of the Lebanese state. Uh, So there's a a downside to the story as well as an upside.
2: Yeah, if I can continue on this, I think the main message for me, that in a country that has that amount of corruption, there is no way to come up with an arrangement that improves the quality of service Mm for people without making concessions and sort of feeding the beast, if you'd say. So you have to kind of uh, pay some to the people who are responsible for the bad quality of service to start with. But then there is a way of minimizing these kind of concessions you're making by leveraging community support. Mm-hmm. And
3: I think that's been one of the remarkable things of the, the story of ZACLIA is the way in which uh, EDZ have managed to mobilize the community. They've really got they, you know, they've funded sports clubs, they've found, uh, funded religious organizations, they've got the entire community around them campaigning and championing for them as a success, and then that has strengthened the political authority uh, of EDZ to be able to battle the center which could have shut it down, which could have made what they were doing impossible, but they were so popular and they knew that they could get people out on the streets to support them that they allowed it to continue. So there's a very clever politicking going on there about achieving the outcome, but also exactly as Musta have said, um, in order to be able to come to, shall we say, compromises with those in the center who might block it, you need to, make, you need to carry, make a profit. You need to make a surplus. Mm-hmm. And the way in which EDZ achieved that was, I think, very clever. And it was the exact opposite of all of the international advice. The international advice is make everything transparent. EDZ managed to make everything not transparent and thereby managed to make a significant, trans, uh, significant profit, which they could then plow back into investment into the quality of service and also into reaching settlements with the people who might oppose them.
0: Okay, so I'm I'm hearing here a little bit of the um, uh, there was the puzzle uh, to start with, like how does EDC uh, do it? Um, and I'm hearing two answers. Uh, one is community support, and the other one is making things uh, less transparent. Uh, maybe Musna, you wanna um, elaborate on that?
2: I think it's a much more complex puzzle than that. <laughs> I think the community support one, if I may elaborate on that, is not about just leveraging support. So we could like as we did research we kept on like discovering one layer after another of that kind of relationship at first i understood it as a straightforward sponsorship from edz to the community to get uh, their support and we understand it like i understood it as clientelistic ties and there is this kind of linkages of clientelism being negative anti-democracy and soon after you realize actually they would support anyway, and that sponsorship was much more uh, complex than paying the community for for this EGZ company to gain profit. It's basically, you sort of pay the community, but they are on your side anyway, and by that payment, you can sort of collaborate with them, although you have the upper hand. And that complex relationship is very important, how he operates it in relation to the center, to the... The national level political actors. So I would say it's a complex puzzle in that sense that the negotiations are in parallel with members of parliament who get maybe get a cut or uh, profit in other ways, with uh, fuel providers who are tied to national, uh, also national actors who have interest in continuing to sell diesel fuel, uh, and so they. He buys from them too, EDZ buys from them too, but also at the national level of um, employing uh, local uh, generator owners so that they do not oppose uh, the plan for generation by EDZ, getting uh, the support of different kind of sectarian players so that the company is in line with the sectarian politics. Uh, And that this kind of these elements together then help EDZ negotiate a contract With the government that it's to its interest but also allows for better service
0: Mm -hmm. and i'd like to ask two two more questions um one neil uh, maybe you can give uh, an example of uh, what um, you mean by making things transparent and then afterwards, maybe we can think about uh, implications of your findings, like what, uh, what kind of policy advice, if you will, uh, might you draw from this?
1: Uh... I'm not sure the policy advice is to make things less transparent, but just in terms of how that was done, it was very clever. So one of the fundamental problems with electricity supply across Lebanon has always been that the price that people pay for their electricity, their price per kilowatt hour, is way, way below the cost of supplying that electricity more than half of all of lebanon's enormous debt is as a consequence of the deficits over the years of edl uh, as a result of underpaying for electricity well most people wouldn't say it was underpaying because they've received such a bad service but it's a, it's a vicious circle because they receive such a bad service because no one can invest in it because they underpay so so therefore you've got this challenge in order to be profitable the price that people pay has to be more than the cost of supply but if you were a politician and you came along and said hey you know what we're going to treble the price of electricity you would be booted out of office very quickly indeed nobody is going to do that but there is a willingness to pay more for electricity people want a decent supply and they in particular they want electricity when they want electricity they want to be able to switch it on and it works at any time of day so therefore there's a a big latent demand For paying significantly more, a big willingness to pay, as economists say, for uh, paying significantly more for electricity if it can be there and if it can be reliable. What EDZ did was they combined their bills in 2015 with those of EDL. EDL will supply the electricity way below cost, very loss making, but that's EDL's problem. And it's been purchased very cheap by EDZ. But then when the EDL electricity cuts off, as it does happen, time or maybe a third of the time or so then uh, edz's own generators would supply the electricity but because there was one bill you couldn't see what rate edz were charging you in fact they were charging five to six times the rate of edl so while they're making a very very tiny profit on them on the electricity that they're buying from edl they're making a huge profit of the electricity they were setting selling from their own generators so because people couldn't see what the underlying rate for their electricity was, but they wanted the electricity, they were willing to pay. And the overall bill size wasn't actually much bigger than they would have paid anyway if they'd been paying a private generator. So they weren't personally harmed by this. In fact, sometimes the bills went down a little bit, sometimes they went up. It depends on people's personal circumstances. But suddenly they were in a position where they could get the electricity when they wanted the electricity. So by innocent hiding the rates, EDZ was capable of supplying that electricity when it wouldn't have been if it had been transparent about it. Now, the challenge going forward is you can't hide forever. And so in terms of what you do, it would be perhaps a good idea if one has a similar sort of model to EDZ, a set of concessions at the city or, or regional level, which would allow generation, which would allow local concession operators to to operate like this but the price has to be regulated in order to be able to protect citizens and whether there's a political deal to be done with citizens that would enable people to pay a price that would allow the concessions to make sufficient money to reinvest in the, the lines and the services that are necessary to to provide a good quality service i think that's a big open question uh we don't know the answer to that
0: yeah was that was <laughs> Anything that you want to add to that big question, Musna?
2: Yeah, I think there are a couple of things that go in parallel that are not about the technical. One is the discovery of how tied that kind of feeling that I have 24, uh, good service, 24 hour electricity, how tied that is to a feeling of dignity, of respect. And that's a key impact. So there are the elements of, ah, it's more comfortable, it's good that I don't have the stress of thinking, when should I turn on the AC and when do I turn off the washing machine? But also the feeling that I am respected as a resident in this place, as a citizen. And uh, in parallel to it is the success of EDZ, that's probably unintended, but you could see it in the field. The success of EDZ has, when contrasted to the failures of the state, Uh, often uh, make people think that the state is bad like we just want to privatize everything and sort of gave whereas you have um, you have some successful examples in municipalities for example where the municipality owns the generator regulates it and the prices are very similar to the prices that edz gives but the general understanding is if EDZ succeeded, it's because it's a private company, and so privatization is the solution. And I think this needs to be tackled a little bit because it's not that straightforward. Uh, One also side impact of the kind of EDZ overhauling of the network and the provision of 24-hour service is the fact that they have a much higher percentage of energy generated from uh, solar sources. So basically they've encouraged uh, houses, farms, and also several factories to install uh, solar PV panels that then they could buy the excess electricity generated from there in the city. And that's, that makes Zahli one of the highest cities in the country with solar power generation. So there was some potential there, maybe not exploited fully, uh, especially because of the length of the contract and several other reasons. But that's one thing that maybe is worth building on Mm -hmm.
3: can i just add a point on that because i'm really glad you you mentioned that must that the challenge with renewables is that in order like all energy investments in order to be able to recoup your investment you have to be thinking long term but the environment in which exactly and every other city in lebanon is operating is that everything is short-term in politics so you might get a two-year renegotiation and another two-year renegotiation and now you have to do another deal and so forth in order to negotiate your way and to navigate your way through the complex uh, politics and as a result it's very difficult for them to make a long-term investment so one of the things we found from our study of some of the conversations was that there was an opportunity to do significantly more renewables than they currently did but that that couldn't be undertaken because that would require part of 20 year contract and no one can think 20 years ahead in Lebanon Um, and that's a tragedy in a way I mean I find it ironic that we regard exactly as a success because they managed to put in place 64 diesel emergency diesel generators this is a big success Mm. (laughs) Um, this would not be regarded as a success anywhere else in the world Um, these are big dirty uh, forms of generation but just being able to supply reliable electricity is a huge success but the next phase needs to be to shift over towards renewable cleaner uh, generation and that will require a longer-term mindset and a a greater stability to be able to make those sort of choices
0: Uh, this sounds like a a good um, message to send off uh, our listeners the importance of the longer term let's say Um, thank you musna and neil for talking to me about this
2: uh, report
3: fantastic thanks man.
2: Thanks, Martin, for having
0: us. And thank you to Feruz for providing the soundtrack to this episode.